Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of This Week in Innovation. Today, we're continuing our series on run-up to NRF 2023, and today I am happy to have a conversation with an old friend, Jeff Kentner, founder and CEO of Kentner Group Communications. Jeff, how are you doing today? Hey, Jeff. I'm doing great. How are you? I could not be better. Great. We actually had rain out here in California, so we're happy to see green grass begin to grow. No mudslides. Texas, please. We need it too. <laughs> well, we need it a whole lot more. I mean, yeah, uh, we so, so we're happy for that. And probably like you, ramping up, beginning the ramp up for NRFs. When I talk to startups, one of the questions they always have is, how do I manage, how do I manage the business of communication. And uh, that's a role that you've done really quite well in the retail industry. Hey, as we get started, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company and the services you offer for retail? Sure. Thanks. Kettner Group is a retail technology-focused PR agency. We've been in the retail technology space for 20 years, and we focus 100% on working with retail technology vendors. That's everything from startups to publicly traded companies. And we've really worked with, Jeff, you've been in retail technology for years. It's a fascinating industry. There's so many interesting technologies. And we've worked in virtually every type of technology in the industry. What we do basically is help our clients build awareness more top of marketing funnel awareness just to build thought leadership. That's media relations, analyst relations, a lot of content creation because content has become increasingly important, I think, especially in the last two to three years, even more so than before. We do a lot of thought leadership, a lot of corporate reputation work, and we're fortunate to work with a lot of different companies that are doing really cool things in technology. We're based in Austin and New York, and we have a team that's very well-versed in retail tech. Basically, we're in the space every day. And we only focus in this industry. And I think that makes us a little bit different from most PR agencies. We're very much a specialist agency. Yeah. One thing that, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. I stepped on you. Now, one thing I'd like to mention too, is that we just launched a new retail tech PR handbook last month that we've been working on this for quite some time, but we wanted to take a lot of the lessons that we've learned by working in this industry for over 20 years and working with so many different companies, many of which have gone on to very successful exits, just to distill what really makes a retail tech communications program different than what all the elements of it are. And that's available for download on our website and our resources section. So that's a plug. If anybody wants, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today will be encapsulated in our handbook. And if anybody wants to learn more, that's a great place to go. And you sell that for what, probably a hundred dollars, I think. Jeff, as a special to listeners of your program, it's only going to be 99 99 for a limited amount of time. And worth every penny of that. Yes. Otherwise you can download it for free on our website. It's, I've looked at that document, Jeff, and that's probably the best document I've ever seen. A lot of it is just, it's intuitive when you've done the job for 20 years. You go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, and you're reading through that. And as I was reading through that, I went, my gosh, if I would have had this 20 years ago, because it's really well, it's really well organized, it's laid out, it's exactly what every startup should have. Just take a look at that. And by the way, it's it's flavored for retail, but it's appropriate for any industry. Anybody, any startup person would benefit from that. It's really a well done, really well, well done Thank document. 
appreciate it. You did say, because I've, I've known you working with some of the bigger players in, in, in the right. space, but I heard the word startup. So you go down literally to the startup stage. Well, not so much. Let me define that a little bit more. Typically, once a company has reached Series A round, then they begin to put together some of the infrastructure that's really needed for a good communications program. And by that, I mean having a dedicated marketing resource in-house. A lot of times, if it's a seed or very early stage startup, it's not optimal to engage with a founder as your key liaison for PR and communications because, you know, you're going to be raising money. You're going to be out closing deals. You're going to be nurturing customer relationships. You don't really have time to do PR and analyst relations and other communications and do it well. Typically, once you get to a Series A round and beyond, you're going to have your resources built up. You're going to have a little bit more longevity as a company. You're going to have a customer base that's starting to get built. And that really gives us more to work with as a communications agency. So I would say probably once a company's in the a little bit more further along the maturity curve as a startup, then we can begin to engage. But yeah, we work with publicly traded companies and the foundational principles remain the same. Yeah, I think that's the point I was getting at. So the I would think a lot of the startups that are going to be at NRF are probably a little beyond seed, but barely Series A, if that. And I think they need to do everything you're doing for a bigger company. They just don't know what it is. So maybe that's a good place to start. What are some of the, what are maybe three of the things founders need to know about how to run public relations or what, well, or what is public relations? Yeah, public relations is basically, it can en encompass a lot of different things. Most people think of it as media relations, getting your story covered in media. And that's a key part of it. But I think just broadly, PR can encompass own media, the content that you create in terms of blogs, customer case studies, um, viewpoint and thought leadership briefs on how do you view the key areas in the industry? Analyst relations, I think, really falls under the broad umbrella of PR. Things like being able to speak at industry conferences, being in the running for significant industry awards, and NRF certainly has its share of those. All of these really make up, I think, the key elements of a good, well-rounded PR program. I mean, there's a lot of things that filter into that as well. You have to find your personas, your target audience, a lot of different layers. But typically, if a company's coming to us and they want to engage in PR, then there's four fundamental questions. The first one is, what are your goals? What do you really want from PR? Is it simply more media coverage? Is it exposure for your executive team as thought leaders? Are you looking for lead generation? Whether you're doing PR internally or working with an outside resource like an agency, you want to have a very clear understanding of goals. And this next point really gets into what I was talking about, the maturity of a company. Are you in PR for the long haul? A lot of companies will approach something like NRF as a one and done activity. Hey, I want to get some exposure at NRF, turn on PR maybe in December, turn it off at the end of January. That's not the way to do PR. You need to be committed for the long haul. And typically, as the company's a little bit further along the maturity curve, they're going to be willing and able 
to do that because PR is, it's more of a long distance race as opposed to a sprint. And it's a process. You need to be in it for the long haul. Third area is really, do you have the right marketing resources in place? The tech companies, the larger companies are going to have a large team. They're going to have content people, analyst relations people, somebody internally that may be working in PR. They're going to have their demand gen team. Smaller companies may just simply have a marketing director or a couple of people in place. But either way, you need to have, if you're going to be engaging with an agency like Cutter Group or any other firm, you want to make sure you have a good internal team that can work effectively with the agency. And the last thing is really, you've got to be willing to make a commitment to PR. We've had situations before where companies making a big announcement. And the one thing they neglect to tell us is that their chief spokesperson is going to be on vacation. Because you could have somebody like a Jeff Roster from Gardner saying, hey, I want to talk to your CEO. So it's important to be committed, have that executive buy-in, and really have people that are willing to speak and work with media, work with analysts, work with influencers, and basically partner with the rest of your communications resources. Yeah, Jeff, that's such an, an important point. I don't know that startups and maybe even senior executives don't appreciate the relationship aspect of the game. Yeah. If you're thinking of doing an announcement in at NRF, that work, in my mind, as an analyst, should be done probably March, April, May, June. Not about the individual relation, not about the announcement, but knowing who that announcement needs to go to having a relationship with those people, setting the stage. And so when it's time to turn that on, everything is all ready to roll. What I uh, have always been frustrated about is if somebody comes in, somebody, i.e. being a vendor saying, oh, hey, mm -hmm. we have this big announcement. Well, who are you? Yeah. Well, we just didn't want to, we didn't want to talk to you until we had something to say. No, literally the worst thing you can do. The right. worst thing you can do. Right. Start building the relationships. If you're in retail or whatever vertical, in our case, it's retail, and you or at least that's always how I look at this. If you're wanting to do the business of retail, the second you declare you have a retail expertise or want to, you're, you should be having these conversations. Don't wait till you have something to share. Well, the thing is, you look at public relations, analyst relations, it's no accident that relations yeah, interesting. are firms. It's all about relationships. I totally agree with you. And um, a lot of things, what we've seen at NRF, like when you were at Gartner, our clients were probably, they would have had briefings with you, you yeah. know, earlier, begin to build the connection, build the relationship. And a lot of time at NRF is when it comes together, you can actually meet face to face. And it's something that furthers the relationship instead of just being this one instance of drinking from a fire hose. So, you know, we're going to give you a 30 minute brain dump on everything we know, everything that's relevant. And you're just coming from your 20th briefing of the day and you're going, I can't possibly absorb any, anything else. Let's just slow it down. You need to be having that communications all through the year and have that relationship building all along. Yeah. Greg Busick yeah. and I had a really, and that'll be a podcast that will probably dump out after yours. We had a little debate, but Greg wanted to see demos and that was what his thing was. And I'm like, the last thing I want to see is a demo. I really, I'm more about let's meet, let's talk, build that relationship kind of thing. Maybe talk about what you're doing, how you're doing, how you're perceived. I just didn't have the mind to be able to absorb demos for three or four days. So 
I think that's a really interesting case of, and that's a job the PR person or analyst really yeah. has, knowing what the analyst wants. I was always, I always was, and I am very clear at conferences. I want to know strategy. I want to talk about, I just want to have conversations and I have no problem with, with PowerPoints at all. As long as you're tailoring that, probably not the biggest demo person, just because I just would yeah. sooner build that time and, and maybe talk about, I don't know, soft aspect that you don't get you don't get in formalized briefings throughout the year. And I started my career before we were doing stuff like this. It was a phone call. Oh, yeah. So that was even less. There was just like these voices that, that you'd known for six months. And then NRF was, oh, I get to meet this person. Now, this is like cheating. What it looks like. <laughs> I know. So that. It, I guess that's the point where the, the professional needs to understand. And if you're a startup, you get to be that PR professional until you can grow into Jeff's services. But you really want to understand it's perfectly appropriate to ask the analyst or whoever you're engaging with, hey, what do you want? Yeah. And, that's the um, most fundamental, it's a fundamental question. And someone needs to know the difference between what Greg wants yeah. and what you Yeah, exactly. Understand the nuances because every analyst Every reporter, every editor you meet with is going to have something a little bit different that they're looking for. And uh, so it's our job to understand those things, to communicate those to our clients and to make sure that they understand and follow through on it because that's being respectful of people's time. And it's also indicating a desire that, hey, I want to further this relationship. I want to make sure that I tailor what we're talking about to what you're looking for. It makes for a much, much better meeting. So Jeff, so my strategy for NRF has always been to schedule in hour increments, but that in commute, that includes the commute time. So if I'm on the fourth floor and my next meeting's down, that meeting will be 35, 40, 45 minutes. If it's closer, maybe long. And I know, I think Greg even talked about it. He was in the half hour increments and don't even know how you could even do that. What do you typically see? What do you ask for? What do you try to get your clients to, to understand? Is it 30 minutes? Is it an hour, 45 minutes? What do you see typically? I think the more time you can build in, the better. I think if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a 30 minute briefing, realize first of all, that your editor or analyst may be running late from the prior meeting. Yeah, bingo. That took longer to get across the conference expo hall, or maybe their last meeting went long. So. I would try to schedule them an hour apart yeah. to allow as much buffer time as possible, or at minimum 45 minutes apart. I've been in situations where they were scheduled 30 minutes apart, and it just never works out well because if you have one disruption to the schedule, then things begin to just snow snowball from there. No, I'd agree uh, with that too. There's nothing worse, and I won't say who. Um, they're no longer in the analyst world, but I had somebody once joined, asked to join a briefing and they only had a half hour. And I was doing my typical 45, 55 minute, yeah. whatever, yeah. including the commute time. And they, in the middle of it, just got up and said, oh, I got to leave. Well, what? I look, yeah. if you're going to be in my briefing, you can leave, but you say your goodbyes before, yeah. because I'm, this is not a game to me. This is my, my, my business. And in that case, the vendor really is stuck because what you just well, have to, you have to go with the flow, but boy, that's. Yeah. NRF is, we've got clients that I'm thinking one in particular that is so excited to be back at NRF. And I think NRF is going to be big this year because there's a pent-up demand for it. NRF is not like anything else in the industry. There are other events that have certainly gained prominence, but NRF is, it's a big show for a reason. 
And I think there's such a unique event. There's such an opportunity to make connections there that you have to treat every engagement there seriously and prepare for it, make the most out of it. Because I think what you do at NRF really can set the tone for much of the rest of the year. And back to your point about meetings too, and how often you schedule them and what you do during the meeting. One thing to keep in mind is that, Jeff, I'm sure you encounter this many times at NRF, but you walk into yet another vendor meeting, your feet are killing you, you're exhausted, your brain is just, it can't really absorb much more, you're talked out. A lot of times what you need more than anything else is just to be able to sit down, take a load off your feet, have a drink of water or a cup of coffee, and yeah, you're conducting business, but just be able to relax a little bit too. So for vendors that are listening, for whether it's a startup or a mature company, just be kind to analysts and editors and NRF. You're going to be kind to your customers, right? That goes without saying, but my gosh, analysts and editors are people too. And some of our analyst friends, one year I had a client that had this wonderfully comfortable couch in their booth. And everyone wanted to extend their briefing time just to be able to sit in the booth. <laughs> even I think it might have been our friend Paul Rosenblum that kicked her shoes off for a few minutes, have a drink of water and just recharge a little bit because NRF's a girl. It is. It's. I'm probably one of the few analysts that, that just live for. That's my most favorite four days of the year. But I don't know if you remember that uh, that image of Kev Kellen Winslow being hauled off the field after that double overtime victory in the 70s. Yeah. That and you have the towel over his head and two guys are carrying because he literally could not walk. That when I'm on the plane heading back to Silicon Valley, that is me. They are literally wheeling me on the plane and I will go back exhausted with a big smile on your face. But that's a really important point, Jeff. Let me push on that a little bit. What? How do you prep your clients for an analyst meeting? And then how do you make that audible as to maybe what I prep for isn't where it needs to go? Yeah. Well, I think that preparation is key. It's the same in NRF. You really have to be prepared. I think one thing we like to do with our clients is we'll always put together a briefing document that you have your analyst bio. And if you're going to have an in-person meeting, a lot of times you may not, the client may not have interacted with the analyst face-to-face -face before. So for crying out loud, have a photo in that. Include some recent articles. If we've done our homework, we will always have talked to the analyst and we'll know what do they want to talk about? What issues are important? What are the hot buttons? Why do they want to meet with our client in the first place? What do they hope to get out of it? And we communicate that to our clients and make sure they understand that. They need to have a presentation. It needs to address the areas that the analysts are meeting with is interested in. I think knowing the strategy, being able to talk about the strategy, being able to talk about your roadmap, being able to share information under NDA, I think for an analyst, that's important. And it gives them a chance to really understand the company at a deeper level. And even if it's not a, you're not an advisory client of an analyst firm, I think still being willing to share as much information as you're comfortable with is important because analysts are so important in the referral ecosystem. They're going to, investors are going to be talking to them. Companies are considering acquisitions. You're going to be talking to them. So don't be afraid to share information um, and then stay on point. Just focus on the key things you want to, who are your customers? What's your strategy? 
How do you hear your competitors? How do you compete against them? And what are some real world case studies you can share? Because it's one thing to talk about technology, but how does it really work from a retailer's perspective? What does it mean to a retailer? So those are the things that, that we emphasize and we always will be involved in the briefing just to facilitate, to make sure if there are follow-up questions that they're addressed afterwards. And a lot of times one briefing may lead to another briefing with a different analyst that might have a different angle to approach. So preparation is key. I think being able to have the right level of spokesperson is key. If you're talking about strategy, bring in the CEO. If you're going to be doing more of a deep dive on technology, then your CTO or a product manager may be more appropriate. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And the other thing I would think I would also say is um, if you're using a deck, which I'm fine with, I, I, I absolutely have no problem because I would expect that the deck is an organized way of pacing through the information. What I would right. suggest you not do, actually absolutely want to see the trend slide because that's just good intel on my part. Don't drain the slot conversation on the trend slide. Yeah, I, yeah, it's interesting. You have it on the slide, but don't spend two or three minutes talking about stuff that I've written a hundred times. Say, I think that the appropriate way to, because again, just trying to save a minute or two, I would say, hey, here's our trends. Anyone you want to unpack? Oh, uh, that one I hadn't seen before. What do you mean by that? Or you know what? Hey, agree. These are the right trends because that's what exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, just kind of being smart in how you're, how you're, how you're using your time. The other thing, Jeff, I'm just curious, because I know I still to this day, because I'm not trying to get to a, uh, a demo, I'm really okay with chit chat for even three, four, five, six minutes if it's just, yeah. if it's relationship building. I know sometimes executives want to push through that quickly, but boy, I tell you, big, I think it's a big mistake. If analysis yeah. kind of, if you're talking about hobby or whatever, or like in our case, um, some of your clients and myself, I mean, we're going back 20 years. We might be talking about yeah. a little bit of sports. Don't be afraid of that because that's really important, that relationship thing. Because ultimately you want to, you're not going to nail the deal at NRF. You, what your best case outcome is, hey, let's do a, let's do a true briefing with a demo two weeks from now when I'm back in my ergonomic yeah. chair. Understand what the role, the meeting isn't just that one meeting. It's really just yeah. to make sure you've got the springboard for the next X number of meetings throughout the year. Yeah. And that really gets back to the point earlier about whether it's PR, analyst relations, which area you're focusing on. It really is a, an, it's a 12 month a year activity. You can't just do NRF and say, that's it. I'm done now. It's yeah. relationship building. It's nurturing. It's continuing to have dialogue back and forth throughout the year. Most of our clients, we typically would encourage them to, analysts will typically have a cutoff point beyond which to say, I'm not doing any more briefings before NRF. October, November is a great time to talk, connect again at NRF. You can follow up on points that were brought up in the meeting. And then if needed, or you weren't able to connect before NRF, as you say, connect a couple of weeks after NRF when, yeah, you're in your favorite chair, your mind is actually clear, and it's a better time to have a deep dive. The other thing that's always funny too, Jeff, and it's a throwaway line is I'll have people say, so what have you seen at the show? And oh. almost embarrassed because, well, one, I haven't seen anything because I've been in meetings. All of them, by the way, are NDA. So, so I'm stuck. Well, I've seen a lot, none of which I can share with you. It's just this awkward thing. And it's a throwaway line. It's just, but it just makes me laugh. 
I, so I got in the habit of just creating like a couple little cheat things because it was funny. I just, it makes me laugh. And I'm sure this year I'll hear the same thing. So what do you see at the show? Literally nothing I can talk about because it's all under NDA. Well, it, who knows? It may have been on a briefing with you many years ago, but I learned pretty early on. That's not the best thing to ask an analyst or an editor because for one thing, if it's not under NDA, it's all jumbled together because, well, we're talking about innovation. We're talking about AI. I mean, they can kind of all run together. Now, what happens if you flipped it and asked a vendor? You might get an interesting perspective because sometimes as an analyst, you want to know, what are you as a company seeing? What are you talking to prospects about? What are they interested in? Listen, I think, Jeff, I think the way I've always approached research is I think the vendors and the startups have the best view of the market because one, they're trying to sell. We can do our surveys and we get all this data and I present all this stuff. And, and you've probably been in some of those meetings too, where you look at that and you start laughing because it's like, yeah, okay, you're saying this, you, you go try to sell a half a million dollar solution. It, it ain't that easy, my friend. It ain't that easy. So I've always, I very much want to know what the vendor's seeing. Now, just because one vendor says one thing, it, that's interesting. That's a anecdote. But when I but I'm not just talking to one vendor. I'm talking to the vendor, then their competitor, then the competitor of the competitor, and then around. And all of a sudden, all those anecdotes actually do become data and research. So yeah, very important for the vendor to, to have a sense. And I'm just curious what you're cutting on this also is, I always ask for a competitive landscape or who do you compete with? And I'm curious what your advice is on that, Jeff, to your clients when they have that question. I think share it. I think be willing to go. share it. A lot of times what will get pushback from clients because they'll say, well, if I share this with an analyst, then they're just going to go and they're going to pass along that information to my competitor. And my comeback is always, if you don't share that information, then that analyst is not going to understand how you fit into the matrix and how you might potentially be able to solve a problem in a way that's fundamentally different from the other vendors that you compete with. You need to be willing to share information. And that's why even under NDA, I think you can share certain levels of information because the more an analyst knows, the better they're going to be able to be informed when they talk to retailers about technology investments, about vendors they should talk to. The more an analyst knows about you, the better your position is going to be. That's my take on it. Yeah, I know it's a perfect answer because here's what I would say is, and I, I, I get this literally to this day. Well, we don't want to talk about a competitors. Guess what? I do. And here's why yeah. you want to, because if you're competing with the biggest companies on the planet, a Microsoft, Oracle, SAP, and you're saying I'm in their space here, you've now defined the market for the, the analyst. And then right. they know exactly what you're talking about. If you're a startup or a small vendor and you say, well, we, we've, we don't have competitors. Great. I have nothing I can do with you because I don't know what you sit. And if you think I'm going to yeah. waste my time trying to figure out where the heck you sit, you're, it's, you're nuts. Unless you're teaching me how to spin straw into gold, I'm not doing it. So get the biggest competitor imaginable and say, we are competing with their solution in this space. And I immediately have a definition of where you're at. And by the way, because analysts are always looking for an interesting story or something to put in a presentation. And we don't always want to say every, it's, it's like I, I learned a long time ago, try to be very careful using Walmart in it as an example, because you give everyone the, appreci uh, the ability not to listen. Oh, well, we're not Walmart. We can't do this. So you're yeah. always looking for a smaller retailer that's doing something cool because then it then you're bringing the audience into that conversation. It's the same with yeah. the vendors. You absolutely yeah. have to say, 
you don't have to say we're, they're better than you. No, we know it. I know it. That's my job to know that. But but it frames where you sit. And boy, so many people are afraid to do that. And it's just, you got to be, you got to treat the analysts with a little bit of respect, knowing they know exactly these players. And here's where we sit in there. Now you can try to differentiate all you want, knock yourself out. That's fine. But man, do not be afraid of it. Get in there. Here's where we are. And then I guess the last thing I'll, um, I'll ask you as we wrap up here, and Jeff, thanks for your time. We actually went over a longer. Yeah. What advice would you have for interactions in our NRF kind of post COVID? What do you What are you telling your clients? They read the room. Be respectful. I imagine at NRF there'll be look. Most people aren't going to be wearing masks at the events that we've seen. People are just glad to be meeting in person again, and it's nice to see one another's face. We haven't been able to do that in person in a long time. So read the room, maybe have a mask in your pocket if you're choosing not to mask. I think the more physical interaction we can have that people are comfortable with, shaking hands, I don't mind shaking hands. If somebody wants to do an elbow bump, that's fine too. But just to see one another and be together is, there's a lot of pent up demand for that. At the same time, you may have people that are wearing masks. And uh, that if it's a prospective customer, if it's an editor, an analyst, and they're masking, then be courteous and ask them, hey, would you feel more comfortable if I do this? Because it's not a big imposition. I think as vendors, as PR people, we need to be respectful of the people that we're looking to meet with and spending time with. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I will absolutely not be masked, but I will. I think I will carry one. And then if I see somebody, yeah. I'll just... Hey, how do you want to do this? And even in my day-to-day -day interactions, I'm a handshake guy, but I'm looking at somebody and, you know, how, ask, are we knuckle, are we handshake? I'm not doing the elbow because I'll throw my back out if I do that too often, or I'll probably catch somebody in the elbow and I'll actually hurt myself. But the fist bump thing, and the other thing, well, I, want, I want to see that if a guy's bigger than me, I want to see him going in careful because I don't want to get my knuckle yeah. smashed. Great thoughts, Jeff. Appreciate it so much. Um, thanks for your time today. I cannot recommend- your your PDF that is absolutely spot on. Every startup that should be required reading. It's a quick read, but it just takes those bullet points to heart and you've got a really good plan. Thanks again, Jeff. Really appreciate Thanks your time. Thanks for watching, Jeff. It's been fun. Take care. Thanks for giving today's pod a listen and now a view. For more info, check out the show notes and please give us a five-star rating. Like and subscribe, as the kids say. It really helps us grow. If you'd like to be a guest, send me a note. We're always looking for innovative thought leaders and startups really doing interesting things. And make sure to come back for next week's episode.